If you would, take your Bibles and join me in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. As they were singing, I couldn't help but think how appropriate that song was for what we're talking about. Because we're talking this last two weeks ago, last week, this week, and Lord willing, next week. We're talking about just some feeble thoughts about parenting. I don't know about you, but when I was parenting, I felt totally inadequate, totally incompetent. After I'm through with that parenting and now in the stages of grandparenting, I still feel totally inadequate and totally incompetent and regret some of the things that I've done. And so I struggle within my heart to stand up here and to say, hey, I want to talk to you, I want to counsel you, I want to share with you from the Word of God things about parenting when I think that in my own life I did so many things wrong with my own family. And so the most feeble thing I can put out there is do what I say, not what I did. But I think I'm probably not the only one here who has those feelings that stands back at times and are awestruck by the fact that God in His grace gave us children to watch over. And God put those children in our care so that we could guide and direct them. And that we struggled and stumbled only when they follow the Lord by the grace of God. Only when they do that do we find real contentment and peace and be able to say, thank you, Jesus, for over, overlooking for working in their hearts, even despite the failures that I was doing as a parent. The hope that I had was what I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, how my dad in his gas station, he had a hoist there that we had to line up the cars perfectly to pick up, otherwise they could fall off that hoist. And in that same illustration, we said that what we need to do, and what I know my wife and I tried to do, we didn't always succeed, but we tried to line up our parenting with the Word of God. We talked about it a couple of weeks back. We said some principles that were very generic, very, very Bible-based, but very uh, widespread on parenting. We said it's the greatest honor God can give you. Besides saving you, having, your, having been given the heritage of children, it's amazing that God would entrust them to us. We made the comment that parents, their goal is to raise not just good kids, but godly kids. We commented that if you do that, you will have great joy. No greater joy to know that my children walk in truth. Every child, though, in order to have that happen, they need to be trained. They need to be impacted. It won't just happen by incident or by accident. You need to be intentional in your parenting. We made this observation that not only do you need to be intentional, purposeful, but you need to be proactive. And you need to have a plan. You need to work that plan. And we made this observation that, that as well, it's going to take a long time. Things won't happen. Kids aren't like what you put in the microwave. They aren't going to instantly turn out well. You're going to have your ups and downs, but you have to take the long look. And then taking that long look, you also have to take a real inward look at your kids and raise them according to their bents in the way that they are going. And so you teach them and understand God made them individuals. I've got to deal with them individually. I've got to know them. I've got to explore, examine. I've got to observe so as to know what type of biblically-based discipline, correction, training works best with this child. As well, if you weren't here in the evenings, we talked about this, that despite the world around us, you still are parents. You are still considered by God to be the greatest influence. And we even gave you statistics to back that up. We then talked in the evening service, for those of you who weren't there, that successful parent, parenting isn't necessarily what your kids become, but what did you do while you were parenting? Because God knows they have a free will. God gave them a free will. They're going to choose. But what did you do? How did you react when they were exercising their free will that may have gone contrary to God? 
And we made this observation as well. We said that the only way you're going to be able to raise godly kids is you have to be a godly person yourself. That leads us to what I want to talk about today and where we're picking up today. We're leaving, picking up where we left off last Sunday night. Last Sunday night, I drew your attention to a passage of Scripture, and it was in this Ephesians passage. Ephesians chapter 5, to be exact. Ephesians 5, chapter 5, if you go down to the text... And you read where it says in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Then it talks about wives, submit yourselves. Then it talks in verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Those thoughts are repeated. Then it says in chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents, honor your mother and father. Then we go down to verse 4, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Then he even goes into your workaday world, servants, and then he talks about them. And he even makes comments about masters further on in the text in verse 9. The context of all of those personal comments made to each one of those groups is based on this idea of submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. We pointed out last week, the week before, in the evenings that this is a command by God. That this is God saying, start doing this over and over in your life. He is saying that this is something you have to do yourself. Nobody else can force you to submit to what God has for you. The word that he uses here, though, has this idea that you need to take your place. It's a military word. It has the idea that you need, you have a special assignment, whether it be in line here or maybe at the base. Here is your watchtower or here is what you're supposed to be doing. But you have a certain assignment. And you are to submit yourself, that you are to take that assignment, take that responsibility and fulfill that role, that responsibility, every single one of us. Whether we be a husband, whether we be a wife, whether we be a parent, whether we be a child, whether we wear multiple hats, we have assignments in this text that we're to fulfill. But they're not limited to this text only. What are some of the roles? We made the observation that one of the roles for parents is to provide and protect. We looked at different passages that talked about how you to care for your child. Jesus even assumes this is done. Where in the parable he says, what father is there that if a son asks for bread, he's going to give him a stone. And Jesus makes the analogy, he says, if you're a good parent who is feeding your child, if you're a good parent that's protecting your child, how much more your father in heaven? But he's assuming that's what you're doing, that you're providing and caring for a child. Then last Sunday night, we spent some time talking about promoting your child, encouraging your child. This is your role as a parent, as a grandparent. You're to be a cheerleader behind them. The Bible has several texts that talk about one of the texts that we looked at last week, though it's not a specific command, it was found in Titus 2, as well as there's another one right here in Ephesians 6 that we'll look at in a second. In Titus 2, he's saying that the older woman should teach the younger woman. In that text, he says, to love their husbands and to love their children. We explored that last Sunday night. We looked at what that means that the older ladies were to teach to love their children, love their husbands, and in that culture, it would be difficult because you had a prearranged marriage for a lot of times. In that culture, many of the wives had competition within their own household because their husbands, in that culture, in the Greek-Roman culture, they had mistresses. Their wife was their legal wife, but they had people on the side, mistresses or concubines, whatever you want to call it. And he's saying to the wives, the legal wives, you who are believers, you need to love your husband, be friendly towards him, even though you know that there's competition in the realm of compassion. You're to be a supportive friend to him. 
When he talks about that in the regards to the children, he uses the exact same word, be a friend, be a supporter. But in our English, it says that you're to teach the younger women to love their children. The there isn't in that text, in the original. It's just to be a child lover. Why would he say that? Because sometimes those ladies living in that era, they weren't raising their own children. They were raising a, a child from another marriage because the wife may have died. There may have been divorce. Or maybe they're raising children that he adopted from his mistress. And so they have these kids in the household, and she is supposed to be a child lover equally, compassionately, unconditionally to all that are in the house because it's not the kid's fault. And you're supposed to be supportive of them as a friend and not one who would tear down, but rather you're to be helping them, encouraging them, building them up. You're to be assisting them. And so he made it very clear in this text, moms, one of the jobs that you have is you're to be a promoter, a supporter, a friend to those children that are in your care. I was reading the account of, maybe some of you have heard the lady, Carol Burnett. Any of you ever hear of her? Okay, queen of comedy, they call her, next to Lucille Ball. And she was talking about how when she grew up, her mother, when she was college age, her mo- she was saying, I want to be an actress. I want to be a comedian. And her mother looked at her and said, you can't do that. You can't do that. You need to be a writer. She says, Mom, but I really don't want to be a writer. I want to be somebody that, that is out front. And she says, you know, writers, they don't care how you look. Actresses, you'll never make it the way you look. Woo! How would you like that for words of encouragement from your mom? That you're not good enough in your appearance. You're not supposed to be doing that, ladies. You or your role is to be a promoter. Dads, Ephesians 6 makes it very clear. That it says, stop provoking your children to wrath. Literally, that's the words in verse 4. Stop doing this. Colossians writes and says, stop provoking your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. You're to be doing just the opposite, no matter what their age you're not supposed to be tearing down. You're supposed to be building up. You're supposed to be helping them. You're supposed to be encouraging them. Even though you're in a position of authority when they're in your house, you're supposed to be a promoter. Last Sunday, I asked you this question, and here's what many of you responded who are here for that study. Here's how parents discourage kids. All these different ways. Too many rules. No rules. Inconsistency with rules. Favoritism. Making comparisons. The idea of belittling the child. The idea of not taking time, but you have an awful lot of time to lecture them, to rebuke them, but not to just spend time with them. Never letting them know how you really care, how proud you are of them. There are a number of people in this auditorium who are still craving for the moment to hear from their parent. I love you and I'm so proud of you. And they want that. They need that. We need that. Your kids need that. Can I step into a new area for right now? Beyond cheering on your children, beyond comparing, beyond, beyond uh, cheering or promoting your children, let me get into another area this morning, a new area. And that is based upon this biblical principle that is found not in a singular statement, but a concept in Scripture found throughout Scripture about providing a pattern, being an example. There are multiple passages where example setting is brought to the forefront. Jesus did that. Jesus, it is stated about him, he left an example that we should follow in his steps. He knew the importance for people to have an example. In fact, when he is washing the feet, he makes the comment, I've given you example that you should do as I have done. 
He makes that over and over, he says, where he says, I've been your example. If I have not come to seek to be served, but I've come to serve many, then you should do likewise. If you want to be a leader, be a servant, just like he was. That same idea of pattern, providing leadership, providing example, is stated by the Apostle Paul when he writes to the Corinthians. He says, be followers of me as I have of Jesus Christ. He knew they needed a pattern. They needed an example. They needed how to do, how to live. So he said, I'll provide that for you. In fact, when he is writing under the inspiration of Scripture, he makes it very clear that this is one of the major roles of church leaders. Not as lording over the flock, but being examples to the flock. Providing a pattern. Showing them how. And he writes to Titus, and again he says, In all things showing yourself a pattern of good works in doctrine, uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech. So this concept of providing a pattern, it is not uh, something unusual or something that would astound you that you as parents need to provide a pattern. You are told this when you are told, train up a child in the way he should go. The word train means to point towards, to guide towards, to lead towards. The same thing is stated in Ephesians. Bring up the child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word for bring has that same exact comment, concept. Point them, lead them towards the things of the Lord. You are to be a pattern for your kids. And so the question is, what areas of our life do we really need to focus on? Because what areas of our kids do they need a pattern? Do they need an example? Not just a lecture, not just a sermon from me or from the youth pastor or whoever, but they need to see it lived in your life. And I left off last week saying... Write down some areas so that you are purposefully, proactively, intentionally working on some things in your life. These were the areas that are not, they are not profound. They are not, you know, written in the tablets of stone. These are the areas that I know my wife and I worked on. That as we were raising the kids, these were our focused areas. There were some moments that we were off focus. There was areas we did something else. But these were the primary areas that we said we really need to work on example setting for the kids. We train them in these same areas. What were they? What are these areas of training that we needed to provide a pattern? First and foremost was walking with the Lord. A walk with the Lord. You know, we, we talked about it. Bring them up in the nurture, in the knowledge, and in the, in the willingness to follow the Lord to guide them, to lead them in the standards, to give them knowledge and a desire to follow the Lord. We talked about it two weeks ago, that in the book of Deuteronomy, he is saying that this next generation, parents, you need to teach them. You need to train them. You need to walk and talk and live the Bible. When you're sitting, when you're rising, you need to share these things. You need to give that to them. Why? He said so that when the kids enter the land and they're enjoying peace and prosperity, they remain faithful in serving the Lord. We pointed out in Psalm chapter 78, he says the same thing. When he says, generation after generation, train your kids, teach them. Why? That the generation might know the commandments of God, that they might set their hope in God and not forget him nor his works. That they might not be as their fathers, who a generation had set their heart aright, not set their heart aright, and went distant from the Lord. 
So we're supposed to give a pattern of them following the Lord, worshiping the Lord. He tells us that we're supposed to love the Lord thy God with all our hearts, our minds, our spirits. This is the great commandment. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. How does that work in my everyday life? How does that show up in the example you set for kids and grandkids? How is that displayed? By your own personal Bible reading. By making it known that you do value prayer, you do value study the Bible, that you think through applying scriptures, that you pause and you meditate and you say, what does the Bible want me to do here, even when it's hard and when it's difficult? By making sure your kids see you process this idea of seeking first the kingdom of God. By the very fact that you are living a righteous life, you are living by the standards of the kingdom citizen. That you are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That your yea is yea and your nay is nay. That you are loving and blessing your enemies. That you are living a righteous, consistent God. Not perfect, because none of us can do it. But a persistent, consistent life before the Lord. Another area that I think is very vital that we underestimate because we just go through the motions and we don't think it through. We need to teach our kids how to really worship the Lord. That's this idea. That's church. That's corporate worship, private and corporate. The Bible makes sure that it says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works while not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. We have experienced in the last two years the devastation of COVID that kept us apart at times. God never designed us to be kept apart. We need one another to maintain a spiritual stability in our life. We need the interaction God has designed it that way that we need to encourage one another, exhort one another, that we need a body of Christ to worship, to learn, to fellowship, to share our prayer needs, to share our struggles with, to pray together with. How do you provide an example for your kids in this area? The most simple ways are you mean to make it a priority. You need to teach your kids that it is a valuable thing to be a part of a church. The body of Christ that is special, that is what he is building in this day. You need to portray that this is something worth participating in, not just coming and attending, but actually participating in. You need to make it clear that before, during, and after, this was an event for us that was special upon the first day of the week. And relay it. Share the idea that this is something we need, we hunger, not something that we come to critique others. Not something that's a chore and it's a hardship. But this is something that God has designed for us to be encouraged and to be delighted in. An area that we need to work on in training our kids is loving other people. Loving other people in the simple ways. The Word of God says, this is my first commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus Christ made it clear. The second commandment, he says, is that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus made it clear in Scripture as he had the others write, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that you love one another. I don't need to elaborate upon that. You know the Bible calls us to love one another. But how do we display it? How do we portray it before our kids? Do we portray love for one another when we get in the car and rip somebody else apart? Do we portray love for one another when we don't have time 
or take the time to assist others in need? Do we portray genuine love for one another when we isolate, when we don't pray? But we flip the coin, the coin around and we say, hey, some of the ways that I can portray love towards others is reach out, help them, speak positively of others, receive. The word receive one another in Romans 12 has the idea of you welcomed somebody who you haven't met before, but they're a brother and a sister. You bring them in, you share with them, you show hospitality. Loving one another means visiting the widows. This is pure and undefiled religion, the very basis of it. The very first ministry that the church was supposed to be focusing on, that they had to expand their leadership to take care of the widows. Do your kids see this in action in your life? Do they see you valuing those individuals who are lonely, that need encouragement because you write them or you call them or you visit them? Do they see you putting others before yourself? Do they hear you speaking kindly and lovingly of other brothers and sisters in Christ? Do they see you working at restoring conflicts? Do they see you believing all things, hoping all things about others, not immediately saying, oh, I knew that about them. I knew all along that they were such and such. Rather, what we're supposed to be doing is loving one another promote unity within the body of Christ? Not propagating gospel. What do your kids hear from your lips? What example are you providing? We're supposed to have respect for one another. You know, there are multiple verses of Scripture that demand respect. I know Pastor Tony's dealing with this in the parenting class, and I told him this is the one major principle besides the spiritual that we strove to try to ingrain in our kids. The matter of respect. Respect for others, respect for friends, respect for property, respect, respect, respect. Enough that they would be careful and cautious so that they would honor the Lord their God and respect those who are made in his image. The passages of scripture talk about this, several of them, how we're supposed to be showing respect to those in authority, those in government, those in leadership at work. How do we do that? How do we display that for our kids? I know some of the ways that that we ought not to do it. I'm calling up my mistakes. I needed needed to be more careful what I said about the politicians at my table when we were eating supper. They're not Democrats. They're Democrats. But we get by with those little nuances that we rip on people. What does that say to our kids? What does it say to our kids when we're sitting at the table and we are, we are having roast boss for supper? What does it say? And, I, and please, this, I'm going to say it, but it's, it's really, it's, it sounds like I'm self-propagating and promoting, and I don't mean it that way. When you go home on a Sunday and you have roasted preacher or roasted church, what does that say to your kids? What kind of respect are you displaying? So how do we work on this? It meant that in our home, the first and most, most valuable way of respect training was we needed to be respectful to each other. We needed to portray respect in our conversation, in our attitude, not making comments like, oh, your mom is in the store forever. 
Oh, she's going to be visiting in that church foyer and we'll never get out of here before the game starts. <laughs> By the way, it's usually the men that are more of the talkers on the foyer, but be that as it may. No amens, ladies. I'm surprised. Okay. But we needed to work at showing respect for our parents if we want them to respect their parents. We needed to be careful about what we said about the authorities. We worked at very carefully working at if you came home and you told us something that your teacher did and naturally your child is always right and the teacher is wrong. So we wanted to make sure that we always emphasize we're respecting the teacher. We're respecting the teacher. We are going to talk to the teacher, not believe everything you say. We're going to get it both ways. But we were very careful on that. We wanted to train our kids to be respectful for older people. That if we were ever in the occasion, and Lebanon doesn't give those occasions, but when we would go away, if we were visiting someplace and we were on a bus, you give your seat to an older person. Simple things. That quite frankly, they're passe anymore. We, we try to emphasize our kids. When you go to a church meal, you don't have to be the first one there. You can let the older people before you. You can give them your chair in the family center rather than you occupying all the chairs and the older people having to hold their plates. See, now I'm very sensitive to that, okay? Because now I'm one of those feeble older people holding the plate. But it's little things. For us, you don't go in your sibling's bedroom. It's not a major capital crime, but just to teach respect. You stay out of mom's purse without permission. You don't take tools without asking. And when company comes over, you can have certain toys that you are not, you, you can keep apart. You don't have to share all your toys and risk the, the possibility of some uncontrolled child wrecking your stuff. So we'll respect your property by allowing you to choose some of the, your property to be in reserve. But you're going to share some of the other property. It was little things of just trying to over, just over and over, respect. We worked on speech. Good luck with this one. Making sure your kids speak wholesome speech. Good luck. What's even harder than trying to train your kids to do it? It's doing it yourself. When you're struggling, when you're battling, and you let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, you're supposed to be seasoned with grace. So in the home training, what do we do? We have to be careful what words we say before our kids. If I don't want my kids to use foul language, then don't use it, folk. Don't use it. If you don't want them to use idioms that are sissy Christian cussing, then don't use them. If you're embarrassed by words that your kids would use when they're walking around here, then why are you using them at home? So you be careful what you say. Be careful when you're frustrated, which never happens to any parent in this room. But you've got to be very careful. You've got to be careful how you talk when you're not feeling well. You know that text that talks about Jesus leaving us an example is when he's on the cross? How does he respond verbally when he's on the cross? Oh, my word, it's just what an example of graciousness and compassion when he's not feeling well. It's amazing. It's amazing what we can say when we're watching our sports games. 
It's amazing what we can say when we're watching the news. My advice to you, stop watching news. It won't frustrate you so much. Yes, you'll be ignorant, but at the same time, you won't get into the area of really getting frustrated. Be careful. Be cautious. How do you talk with the kids when you're upset, when they're upset? How do you talk to your spouse with graciousness, kindness, politeness? How do you talk to that person that really bugs you? This is really a tough one, working, teaching your kids a work ethic, because most of us don't work at home anymore. We don't have the agrarian culture where the family work together. We're working outside the home. But some of you have the, the privilege over this last year to be able to work at home. How did your kids view you? How did they see you when you were there? Did you actually work when you were saying you were working? What did you say about the employers when you were at home? What did you say about employees? What, did, what, did, what happens when you want a day off? How do you relate to your kids? I need to be ethical about this. It's okay for me to call in sick. It's okay for me to take something from work that doesn't belong to me. Really? Really? How, how do you demonstrate a work ethic to your kids at home? How do you portray that you want them to contribute to the work at home? Ordering them? Or giving them a pattern of contributing to the chores around the house? There's areas that we need to work on that would include integrity. Every one of you wants this. You want an honest kid. You want a kid who's not lying. You don't want somebody that's, that's cheating. And so the Bible says, don't lie. So in your pattern of what you do, do you lie? Do they see you lie to one another? Do they see you lie to other family members? Do they hear you lying to avoid somebody? Do they hear exaggeration? Do they see the hypocrisy? Do they ever hear you? I, 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 this one, I just don't understand. I'm, I'm being frank with you. I don't understand this. Don't tell your mom. Don't tell your dad. I, I, just, I can't fathom that. I mean, with a gift or a surprise, we all understand that. I don't know of any time, and not to, not to I'm going to make myself look out. Never mind. It was, it was in our home, we said that this would be absolutely a mortal sin. <laughs> if you know where that it goes in Catholic theology. You don't lie to each other. You just don't keep these secrets. There's the area of trusting God in trials. Okay. What happens if all of a sudden you run into a trial this day? So I was telling the, the group... Uh, several weeks ago, I don't know if I told you, I, I think it was Wednesday group. We went down on a Friday night. It was a whim. We were going to go and buy some really, really, really expensive furniture that was really, it was going to be heirloom for years and generations. So we went to Ikea. And uh, we drove to Ikea. And just as we got to the turnoff on the turnpike, it was a rainstorm and I blew a tire. On the vehicle. I mean, it just went. And I pulled over on what little shoulder there was. This was about 5 o'clock at night, 6 o'clock at night on a Friday. Pennsylvania Turnpike is busy. On Friday, it's crazy. And so there's a puddle of water where I needed to kneel to get the thing. And whoever was the designer of those jacks and spare tires for vans 
should spend a million years in purgatory. Just, <laughs> it's one of those that's underneath the vehicle by the driver's seat, and you have to crank it down, and you need space to pull it out. Do, you know, do any of you have that? Never get a flat tire. Never get a flat tire. And my wife, God bless her soul, she's acting like the Holy Spirit. And she said, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. You joyfully get out here and take care of the tire. (laughs) Do you ever have those moments? Yes, yeah, we have them. How do we respond in those moments? What do our kids see? Okay, do they see us trusting the Lord? Do they see us casting care upon him? Do they see us in total frustration? You know, how do, we, how, do, how do we respond in trials? Are you showing your kids, we're going to trust God when we get something bad? We're going to make it a matter of prayer. We're not going to jump up and do the click of the heels, but we're going to trust the Lord. What are you demonstrating for them? Prayerfulness or pure panic? Who do you demonstrate to them before them who to run to in those moments? Do you get bitter? Do you get angry? Do you blame everybody? In my heart that night with that flat tire, for some reason my heart said it was all Deb's fault. She had nothing to do with making the flat. She had nothing to do... Well, you did suggest we go to Ikea. Now that I think about this... But we can twist those things so easily, can we not? And we can get bitter and angry. Here's an area, serving the body. And I know I'm giving you a grocery list. But at the same time, just I appreciate your bearing with me. But, you know, you have been given spiritual gifts. Every single one of you who's a believer has been given spiritual gifts, not to exalt yourself, but to contribute to the body of Christ. And whatever that gift is, it's important to this body. But you have to contribute. And you have value. And so in order to train our kids to follow the Word of God, they needed to learn that their church membership, their church activity, their church function is very important because that's the body of Christ. This is what Jesus is building this day. Jesus, and I'm not, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but Jesus isn't building hospitals to get out the gospel. Jesus isn't building camps to get out the hospital. He's not building, uh, building up work projects. I will build my... Church is his priority focus. Other things are good. I'm not decrying them, but I'm saying his main area of ministry focus is church. So what do we do? We need to demonstrate that we get involved, that we value others, that we work for the unity of the body. We express appreciation for their teachers While they're standing there, we say, thank you for taking care of this munchkin. You know, an area that we need to worry about is how we care for our own bodies. I think we underestimate this thought. Do you realize that you are not your own? You are bought with a price. Do you remember that passage? Yes, no? Okay. He says, what? No, you're not. Your body is the temple of God. God's spirit lives within you. Your body. If you're born again, he lives within you. Therefore, he says in this passage, what are you supposed to do? Glorify God and excuse my spelling. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Take care of your body. Make good decisions for health. Teach your kids to make wise decisions. Teaching and showing that you are dressing your body appropriately. Taking care of your body is not becoming a couch potato. 
Taking care of your body is listening to medical advice. I understand that it is not in the male DNA to go to the doctor or to take medications. But really, this belongs to God. We have a responsibility as stewards to make sure we're taking care of the body. A couple more is this. Social skills, you all know these. You need to teach your kids manners. You need to teach them to speak. You need them to teach them as far as how to approach you and not interrupt and to be respectful for others. My question to you is, how do you treat your kids? You tell them, don't interrupt me, but you don't respect them and them then in the conversation? You want them to say please and thank you. Do you do it with them? You want them to be on time. Are you on time for their stuff? The demonstration, the idea of how to just handle little things. Emotional stability. He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down. How do you respond when somebody's rude to you? How do you respond when somebody, you know, pray that it never happens, but, you know, if you ever ran into a, a crazy driver, somebody that irritated you, can you imagine that in America, running into a driver that would irritate you? What do you say in the car with the kids sitting there? How do you respond? That's it. We're going to run them off the road. Well, that's teaching self-control. That's demonstrating towards your kid who the next time when they have a problem with their sibling, they're going to bop them and you say, you have that loss of self-control. Where'd they learn it? Who demonstrated that for them? Who told them it was okay? When you get one of those clerks who doesn't have a clue what they're doing, none of you probably ever have run into this where the clerk hasn't. And you're on a timetable. How do you run? How do you respond? How do you, how do you handle it when the toilet doesn't work, right when you need it? How do you handle it when the kid puts a bean up their nose? How do you handle it with one of your precious children cuts the other one's hair and it looks worse than my tuft? How do you handle that one? What are you demonstrating for your kids in these areas of dealing with just life's little struggles? You know, there's, there's everything I'm saying, by the way. Young people, you're saying, oh, that's my parents. These are things you're supposed to be working on. Kindness. Ah, oh, so many verses on kindness. So how's it demonstrated? In your life, in your, in your activity. How's it work? How are you doing in these areas? There's so much more I want to say. But let me, let me add this. The pattern is so important. We were driving somewhere. I don't know where, if it was with you or I by myself this week. Somewhere around town. You know Lebanon has one-way streets. <laughs> yes? You ever run into them? Okay. And Lebanon's been doing a lot of road construction, which are making it hard to get around town. Yes? Okay. So I'm following somebody, and I see they're an out-of-state car. They seem to not know what they're doing in Lebanon, you know, how things go. And a car in front of them turned and started going the wrong way up the one way. What did you tell me this week? That there was a skit you heard about 
somebody, wife and wife and husband on the phone talking and saying, you know, be careful on the highway. So they just report on the highway that there's a car going the wrong way on the highway. And the husband who's in that car says, there's not just one, there's hundreds that are going the wrong way. Well, he's the one. Yeah. So I saw this car turn the wrong way on one of the Lebanon streets. And I noticed that the car right behind them with the out-of-state plates turned and followed them. And then I noticed they both had the same plates. So obviously they were probably, they were both together. Okay, one following the other. And I was thinking about that, you know, boy, they're going to be in big trouble. How that's going to work. I hope nobody runs in. You are the lead car, mom and dad. Your kids are the car following you. When you go contrary to the direction of the word of God, what do you expect your kids to do? You expect them to turn out and to do better than you chose to do? It won't happen. You are laying for before them a pattern that demands that you give them biblical righteousness in multiple areas. These were some of our few feeble areas we worked with. You make your list. You work with it. Father in heaven, help us to be individuals who glean from this and the rest of the message we didn't get. Help us to be able to put into application examination of our own hearts. Make changes where they need to be changed. Make correction. To be honest and open with our kids, to even repent before our kids when we've made wrong turns, when we've done something that violates your word, help us. Help us to be consistent. Help us to be wise. Help us to take the long look that our talk with our spouse, how it impacts our kids, our words we say to our kids, they have tremendous impact. Help us to remember that our kids are hearing us even when they're not listening, we think. They're watching us even when they're in the other room. Help us to be careful. Help us to be cautious. Help us who are grandparenting. Help us to support our kids by giving even a better example so that, so that our grandkids can say and model their lives after our wise choices. Help us who are grandparenting not to sit back and say, nobody's watching so I can let loose. Help us to accept the responsibility, the role that we have on the next generation beyond. Help us to follow Jesus Christ to the best of our abilities. Thank you for these folk and their attentiveness. Help us as a body to continue to serve you to the best of our abilities. I pray in Jesus' name. Listen, I did not talk about salvation, but let me offer this. If you're here today and you do not know for sure you're on your way to heaven, I'm going to wait up here at the front. If you would like to talk, I will gladly show some Bible to you, answer some questions, get somebody else to sit down and talk privately. But the Bible says these things have been written that you may know that you have eternal life. Please don't leave without being sure of your destiny. Come and ask. I'll get somebody to talk with you.